K&M Geekly! This week on Geekly, we're going to talk about professional wrestling. We have our first guest, it's Zero Gravity. And what are we geeking on? And now your host, Mike Indeglio. Hey friends, what's up? It's Mike Indeglio and it is... K&M Geekly, just a sneak peek at two geeks talking about the things that they've been doing to get through their week. And this week, Keith, we have have something spicy. And it's not me, even though I'm a little spicy right now. Uh, (laughs) And by a little spicy, I mean really spicy. I'm very pissed off at just technology in general. Mike, this is a perfect opportunity for you to cut a promo on technology. (laughs) I'm going to use the F-bomb, brother. Because I spent a lot of money for a lot of equipment, and none of it, literally none of it is working today. But this is a great opportunity, speaking of promos, Keith, to bring in uh, the third chair for this week, none other than my brother, Dr. Nicholas Indeglio. That will be the first and last time we say doctor this episode, because uh, he, he just doesn't get that respect from me. Oh, no, he never will. He's my older brother. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program, Nick. Indeglio. Yeah, what's up? Thanks for having me on the show, fellas. It's a it's an honor and a privilege to be sitting among such uh, media giants right now. <laughs> He's not wrong, Keith. He's not wrong. No, no, it's it's very true. But I, you know, I'm excited to have you on the show because this will be the first time that we have ever talked about your profession, and that is professional wrestling. Uh, which I I have not spoken about professional wrestling ever in public, so I'm very excited to talk about it. But you have a long career as Zero Gravity. Well, you bring up a great point, Keith, in that you know there's always a closeted professional wrestling fan in the room, even when you think there's not. Mm. Um, all you have to do is, is do a little bit of digging, and then someone has a story about their favorite wrestler, the time they went to a wrestling show or watching wrestling back in college. So I think it's I think it's actually very apropos you introduce the show this way, because uh, even though people like to sometimes deny it, eh, there's a little bit of pro wrestling in everybody. Yeah, it's a conversation I think can be enormous. So we're going to really try to frame it in a sort of retro big picture area for our general audience this week. Who knows? We could get into the nitty gritty. Then again, I say that, but the wheels come off quickly on this show. So we'll we'll see how long it goes. Wheels were never on. Yeah, that's true. We're going to talk about some other uh, geek things uh, before we get into that, just so that we open the floor entirely. Uh, but before we do that, speaking of illustrious company, Nick, you're not just in the company of two media giants, as you brought it up. You are in the company mm. of some of the best producers uh, on the internet as a whole, and those are our patrons. Oh, that's see, right, Keith. See what Ooh. I did there? They, 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 they're patrons on the I, show. I thought you were going to be talking about yourself, and like our production has not gone well today. No, no. In fact, I'm going to throw things out the window any second now. Uh, but that's not the fault of our wonderful patrons, Keith. Who, 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 who are our benefactors? Well, I'll tell you who they are, and I'll tell you where you can find them on patreon.com slash K&M, spell out that and, and you will find these fine folks watching such illustrious bonus content as watching Mike watch Deep Space Nine, AMAs, bonus episodes, extra reviews of extra little things. We're also on there. We're communicating with uh, with you. You can absolutely reach out to us and have a great time, and you will find these folks there currently. Brian Kaufman, Casey Clark, Cloud Lover 69, Jason Moe, Andrew Hayes, Jorge Navoa, 
and the mysterious, the mysterious, and Worf's Boot Shivs, CRM Productions, Charles Babbage at Grim Toys, and Delusions at Noon. All right, so folks, we got a jam-packed episode for you this week. Uh, maybe you're a wrestling fan, maybe you're not, but that's what we're going to talk about today. Why we're, have Nick and I been wrestling fans since the dawn of our time, and why is Keith just now in his, other than being just a lonely 40-year-old guy, <laughs> maybe that's the Other than crippling loneliness, <laughs> what got me into this? Yeah, and why is our YouTube cha- our shared YouTube channel just uh, videos Keith has watched about wrestling in the past uh, year? Uh, but before we get into wrestling, I want to just talk quick geek stuff. So what I've tasked everyone on is to mm. just... Two quick topics. We're going to pitch them out. I'm going to give you 90 seconds. I forgot to bring the uh, the timer over, Keith, so we're going to go on our system here. There's just a quick oh, no. pitch of a geek topic. Then we'll have a quick roundtable about each thing we bring up, and uh, then we'll jump into wrestling. So we're going to start with our guest, Nick. You're going to be the first here because uh, you're the guest, and we're not, we don't know how to have manners because we haven't. We've only had one guest ever on all of our shows. Yeah, that's understood. We don't really leave the basement, so yeah. we're, we, we're not we're not socialized yet. All right. So topic. You still, I'm, I'm still stuck on Worf's boot shifts. That's a whole. That's a whole. Oh, topic there's, in and of there's a whole story behind that. Yeah. Well, basically, if wow. you are a patron to the channel, Nick, you get to have your name displayed in any way, shape, or form. And so, uh, a deep cut for our viewers in one of our shows, uh, we look at action figures. And yes. Uh, while as Keith has quite an extensive knowledge of the Star Trek universe, I do not. So uh, rather than make, I just basically say things I'd like to see on figures. And one of the things I pitched was I'd like to see this character have. Uh, shivs on his boots so he could stab people with every extremity and one of our custom toy makers not ours one of the custom toy makers that we review their work actually made one yeah he manifested a shiv covered wharf and there it is wow yeah it's a whole thing some would argue Worf wouldn't need a shiv. He's so tough and just strong. But, I mean, you can't go wrong having one. That, that is a very good point. It's. Uh, I don't think you can ever have too many shivs is really the, the long or short of it. <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah. All right, so let's jump into it, Nick. Topic number one for a quick discussion. Hit us. Oh, I, I, my, my uh, topic for discussion number one is uh, Henry uh, Cavill uh, reprising the role of Superman in the DC universe, not, no longer the extended universe. I mean, I, you know, I don't need to dwell for 90 seconds on it. However, I would like to put out the potential argument that I would offer that Tyler Hoechlin, um, I believe, might be the Superman of our generation. I'm a huge fan of Henry Cavill. I think he's awesome. I think his uh, interpretation of the character um, was amazing, even if you weren't a big fan of Zack Snyder's interpretation. But if you really want to see the Superman full of hope and joy and happiness and faith and humanity in the world, that's Tyler Hoechlin's from Superman and Lois in the uh, the Arrowverse on TV. So uh, while I'm excited that we're going to get more Henry, um, I would have been just as happy getting some Tyler uh, in that role as well. I think that's actually a pretty interesting point. I've watched some of the Lois and Clark, the newer Lois and Clark. Uh, I've also read a lot of people who, you know, one of the big knocks against Superman Returns with Brandon Ralph was people don't like Papa Superman. There's there is a there is a contingent of folks who are not a big fan of Superman as a father, which is basically the long and short of the this this C, current CW Superman. Uh, yeah, I like it. I like him. I'd say I prefer his Clark Kent over his Superman. Um, but there we go. That's the the, the Cavill news. The interesting wrinkle on that for me is that he 
they're, they're saying at least that he has left the Witcher series, which is pretty popular on Netflix. Uh, he's left to see, season three hasn't aired yet, but on season four, he will no longer appear. Uh, and he's, it, the, the, the feeling is that that's so that he can be Superman, though, I don't know. I miss him on the Witcher because I really do dig him there. So, uh, Keith, thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody has their own Superman, like whatever. I, I was an original Lois and Clark fan, but obviously I can't uh, for, you know, forget that. I think, I think I'm a Christopher Reeves guy. Because that's that's where I started. That was that was my home base. The the first Superman movie blew my mind with oh. the miniatures and the dam breaking, and I was like, I'm in, I'm in. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no, I I I'm I'm excited. He's coming back. Like I I thought he was I thought he was very good. I think he he's, he's a good actor. He looks the part, and um, you know, and, and when they when they monkey too much with the casting, it for me it really does break the illusion and you know i'm not a huge fan of that verse i don't think i don't think it's super successful in the way that that Mar the marvel mcu is um but if you're gonna do it i'd like to you know stick with the folks i mean the question i think is less the casting and more which of two approaches they're gonna take because as you know they kind of brought on their old their own feige they hired uh good old james gunn to to feige the dc universe now and the question will feige. be what's that I think it's Feige, but no, I think it's Feige. Is it? No idea, but I'm pretty sure. I've I've heard other folks say Feige. I don't know. I I I, I could be be very very wrong. Like I I still can't know what the what you call the yogurt. So, <laughs> well, regard that, that's not even my point. So regardless, Feige, Feige, who whatever they do, <laughs> are they going to continue the storyline from the first Superman? Uh, are we going to? Mm. Because a lot of it it took a dark turn. Uh, Superman, I I, prefer, I would prefer a little more optimism, truth, justice in the American way, although what the hell does that mean anymore? Uh, yeah, we'll see. I'm curious. It's some years off, so I guess we're going to we'll, – we'll, we'll talk about it when we get closer. Yeah. Well, yeah, the well, comics have totally abandoned uh, the American way. So they it's truth, justice, and I think hope maybe now or um, oh, well, truth, justice, and yeah, they, they've changed it up quite a bit. Well, I trust Gunn. Like, I I really like his stuff, and I like his tone. I think that will be a lot more fun to play with. Keith, all right. Well, uh, actually, speaking of another universe, uh, just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Westworld being canceled. Um, so they they are not going to make a season five. So season four is at the end of it, and I'm bummed that it got canceled because I really enjoyed it. But that said, I haven't I haven't even seen all that was produced. I was a huge fan of season one. Season two kind of lost me a little bit, and then I started season three, and I didn't dislike it. I just was not sucked into it, and I, I feel like it's just one of those things that uh, had such a brilliant first season. I, I hear season four is better. Um, and I think that there's a part of me that wants to finish it because I like season one so much. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought that was, I, I'm surprised. Well, I guess I'm not surprised because of the way things get canceled these days, but I, I would have loved to at least give them five episodes to finish the story because even if it wasn't, always successful it was really really good and they invested a lot into it and it deserves shows like that deserve a chance to wrap up that's what i have to say about that nick any were you a westworld guy i was up through uh season two season two really lost me i enjoyed season one tremendously um but i th to be honest episode one of season two actually uh 
turned me off quite a bit. Um, uh, the fact just felt like the finale was so strong, and then they kind of opened and took the story, I guess, in the direction that it made the most sense. Um, and then for, it, it, I felt like they tried to do too much world building through season three in particular. Um, however, to Keith's point, I still always watched it and enjoyed it. Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't uh, to the level of The Walking Dead where I had turned it off completely. You know, after uh, Carl died and we got to some of that stuff, but. Um, I can't say I'm surprised given some of the cost saving measures that have been happening lately in that, in that yeah. world. Um, but at the same time, I agree with you. I mean, everyone seems to be getting the swan song, right? Like two, three, four, five episodes to kind of close off a story. Mm. Um, and, and that could come, maybe that'll come later. Maybe we'll get like a Westworld movie on HBO max or something. Um, yeah. who knows? But yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I'm on the same boat. I won't, I won't belabor the point. I'll say that I thought that when it started, at least it was one of the most visually arresting shows I'd seen in quite a while. It really mm-hmm. took use of made use of, if you were somebody who bought into the really high end AV universe, you had like a really nice screen, really nice speakers or some good headphones. It was just a treat for, yeah. for you know, visually. And I thought that the sort of central meta mystery and all the performances were super excellent. The ideas were super great in the first season. So much table setting. I agree. Uh, second season I was okay with. I, I thought it was a little cumbersome and a little overstuffed perhaps. And by the time we got to season three, it was sort of just batshit to me and made made no sense. And I feel like that's a prevailing an opinion. The thing I'll agree with you guys on is I think creators in this new era of prestige TV really need to kind of go the... Uh, the the route of of pitching their shows with a set end story, saying this is a three season arc. This is a four, and and having that general idea because what we get in this time, Nick, is as as you said, with these cost saving measures and with streaming TV changing hands and ownership of IP changing constantly, we're getting a lot of shows canceled before we're se- they're getting seen through. So I think these shorter, yeah. more uh, even the one season kind of mini series that are just complete stories are, is what I seek out now. And like Nick, I know you are you prefer to wait until something's completed its its run before you watch it, so you can kind of get the whole binge experience. And I think that's not I think many people are consuming yeah. that way. And I, I think in, and we should move on, but I, I think with the with the Westworld, it's a perfect example of losing track of your secret sauce. Right? The secret sauce of season one is the subversive attraction we have to that world and sort of like, would I, wouldn't I, what would I do in that situation? It's very exciting. It's very subversive. It's very sort of dark and weird and bad. And, but also like, I'm attracted to it. I'm also like, man, I I kind of would have some fun there whatever. But like, this is bad. No, this is not how you treat robots. But like, and, and once you lost that sort of the, the, the flavoring of like, I kind of want to do that too, even though it's wrong. Uh, I think we lost, we kind of lost what was exciting about season one. Yep. That, I don't want to belabor it, but I, when I, I would draw two parallels, the two other shows really quickly. Um, one would be Stranger Things, where I think when the Duffer Brothers went in, it was a one season pitch, but they had ideas, you know, through where they're heading with season five. And because of that, if you were a fan of season four, to me, that was the best season of, of episodic supernatural television in a very long time. And that's because it was well thought out and it was, you know, developed and the mythology was expanded. The only disagreement, Mike, with, with having a solid pitch is that I don't know that search party ever would have seen itself through if they had pitched where that was going. Um, 
but but maybe it would have, you know. So I, it's an interesting it's an interesting point. Very, there are very few shows that can thread the needle like that show did, though. So it's that's that is an outlier in many in many regards. Uh, let's go. I think it's oh, it's my turn. I'm going to do a quick one because I know Keith. Uh, there's not much you can weigh in on this one. But speaking of giant antiheroes, as some would argue, Superman became in in the uh, the DC verse. Nick, next week we get the first megaton video game drop of this fall season, and that is God of War Ragnarok. Uh, God of War, the reboot, I believe it was 2018. Am I right on that? Yeah. yeah. It's 18, 19. Yeah. Yeah. Sony Santa Monica studios dropping the hammer. Corey Barlog, the uh, creative director on that first game. And the second game is returning. That game was one of the most ballsy reboots of a franchise across media I've ever seen. They took a, a pretty two-dimensional, literally and figuratively, character in Kratos and crafted a story in this in this game. Forget well, we can talk about the, the graphical prowess and all that. They crafted a story about parenthood and about loss that was moving. Uh, and it was one of those games, Nick, we talk a lot about on this show a little bit. I turned on easy mode and just kind of played through so I didn't have to struggle through the combat and enjoyed the story. It didn't take away from the experience meal. I'm so I couldn't be more excited. I only watched one review uh, it drops on Wednesday. I, I would. I am super excited, obviously, uh, for all the same reasons you said. And all I would add to that would be, in all the games I've ever played, um, and I am not a good gamer. There are too many buttons on that controller. I have to play everything on easy mode. I am a a child of asteroids and Pac Man. However, the feel, the tactile feeling and reward that you get from throwing Kratos's axe was like nothing I've ever experienced in a video game before. And the fact that it was a over-the-shoulder camera view that never breaks throughout the entire game, one shot. Um, I'm extremely curious to see if they are able to replicate the experience, and then they're going to have to add to it. Like, you can't create a sequel that is just as good as the original. They have to have a better, uh, I don't want to say bigger, but it has to be an even better story in the sequel, and that's going to be difficult to do. Uh, anybody out there, any of our patrons, anybody's got a spare PlayStation lying around, make sure to send it Keith's way uh, so we can <laughs> get him playing that first game. Do you know anything about it? Where you, I, You've never been a PlayStation guy, right? No, I mean, I, not since the original PlayStation we had in our basement. Uh, but no, I, I, I went to Xbox. So uh, that's what I that's what I know. I mean, I certainly love those big those big games, uh, but I'm, I'm more of a sports guy. But, you know, but you... I can easily get sucked into like a Red Dead or mm-hmm. that sort of a deal. So, uh, but I'll, I'll be very. Cu- I I love the way you described the sort of the feedback of throwing the there's an axe. Like yep. that sounds fun. I like that. Yeah, that it's, sounds it's like very a thing I would visceral. Enjoy. It's 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 crazy the haptic feedback you get and how satisfying it is. And that's just play testing and play testing and tuning and tuning until they get it just right. And they did that perfectly in the first game. The Nick Nick brought it up though. Sequels are a tough one. And so uh, we'll 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 report back on our findings, Keith. Let's start, or Nick. I think we're back up to you. Let's let's it's round two. It round two, it, uh, and it's tough with the geek world to talk about books. I think because uh, you know it takes a long time to read good books. And I recently finished Stephen King's new book, Fairy Tale, and I, I highly recommend it. And here's why: uh, the short, long, and the short of it is, it was, in my estimation, four different stories all combined into one story. So that the first part of that story, you think you're getting 
this type of Stephen King story. You think you're, you know, it's a stand by me. It's an it. You're, you've got the old man mentor. You've got Charlie. You've got a dog. Everything Stephen King is known for. And then you kind of go off into a bit of a dark tower bend. Beyond that, I can't say much else. But when you get to the third and then the final act of the book, you're either living in a professional wrestling type scenario, which is our yeah. topic today, and um, you're definitely going into some Lovecraftian, uh, you know, subterranean aspects as well. So for by the time you get to the end of the book, you look back to the beginning and you're like, wow, this didn't go the way I thought it was going to go um, in all the right ways, I think, for a Stephen King book. And um, for a guy who is approaching, you know, his 80s or if he's not already in his 80s, um, he had an interesting way of uh, being able to have a character who was a teenager, but also seemed older and that that's all explained in the book. Um, just I, vintage Stephen King. I think he really nailed it with this one. Yeah. So I'll just, I'll briefly pop in. I had mentioned this a week or two ago in my quick picks, so I won't belabor it. Uh, I will just reiterate if you're, if you've fallen off reading or if you just have a long commute, the audiobook is absolutely stellar. Highly recommend the audio performance. And, uh, I don't know, Keith, you have any last questions? I know, or if we just want to leave it. No, no. I, well, I, it's interesting you talk about four separate stories within a, a Stephen King book. My, one of my favorite sort of pieces of trivia is uh, Stephen King's Different Seasons, which are it's a collection of four novellas, which turned into The Shawshank Redemption, Apt Pupil, and Stand By Me were all based on on three of the four short stories in Different Seasons. So, whew, talk about a lucrative book, a uh, it's just like an incredible achievement and good movies. Those yeah, are three, those of, the are the best three of the Stephen better King movie adaptations. adaptations. Yeah. Keith, round Absolutely. two. Round two. Uh, well, I'll be I'll be very quick, and this is going to be a uh, uh, hot take because this is going to be very controversial. Uh, I would just like to speak. I, I've been traveling uh, into the city a couple of times this week, and on that, of course, I'm taking New Jersey Transit into the city, and I would like to actually. Uh, Sing the praises of the New Jersey Transit ticketing system, the mm. virtual ticketing system. Uh, it used to be you had to go and buy a physical ticket from the machine. You had to go here, go there, blah, blah, blah. Huge pain in the butt. Felt very antiquated. Now, with an app, you know, it's, it's app-based now. You are able to uh, use the app to do all of your ticketing stuff. You can set up your favorites. It's very quick. It's very easy. Your ticket is is your phone. They come and scan it. You can track where the train is uh, on a map or literally station by station and watch it in real time as you're going. The UI is not always perfect. Sometimes it's, it's a little crappy, but just imagining what it used to be like having to go from a physical ticket. Uh, I just like to like, hey, that is an advancement. It's it's not perfect. It's got ways to go, and New Jersey Transit certainly is not perfect and has ways to go. But uh, going back and forth a couple of times this week, I'm like, this is very civilized. So, well, you know, knows? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback you there, Keith. For the past week or so, I have been using my good old Apple Watch as a standalone device. As in, I don't bring my phone with me. Uh, I jumped on the uh, the using the LTE. The, uh, and I found that, uh, that between Apple Pay, which is something I know people have known about for a long time, but I have not been, the kid had to told me, teach me how to use it at the, at the gas station where you just like tap mm -hmm. your phone up or your watch up against the thing. Every place accepts it. 
You just pay for things on your watch. I can send texts great on my watch. I find I'm looking at my phone less. I'm getting just the updates and notifications I send for. I love this thing. If you don't have a smartwatch, I think a smartwatch maybe is in the in your future, is in the cards. Christmas is coming up, you can get good deals. Nick, I know you also have a, a, a are big onto the Apple ecosystem. How are you enjoying the Apple Watch? A big fan of the Apple Watch. Uh, I do have one nitpick on the Apple Watch, which is just for people with tattoos, is that it, um, sometimes the light sensors and all of the different doohickeys, uh, that's my technical term, uh, locks my watch because I can't read through the ink. So I would, I would like Apple to solve that. But yeah, oh. I'm the old guy. I'm the old guy now who, uh, you know, when I go to CVS or Ace Hardware or wherever I go and they look at me like, why are you trying to use a credit card? Like you, you're wearing that watch. It's this a real simple process here. Um, but you know, I just get nervous. I get, I'm up front. There's people behind me. It's hard. It's hard. I, I, I'm with you hundred percent on that. Like I've, it, it's not real. Like, I've, I gotta use the card. <laughs> right. I gotta put the card in. Like that's, that can't be real. Oh, well, somebody still in your card because now you're supposed to tap your card. The kids get mad if they're behind, if they're doing the retail if you t- if you don't tap the card. No, well, mm-hmm. my card doesn't tap. Your card taps. Mine, it does not tap. They all tap. But mine doesn't tap. It's a chip. Okay, it's a, there's no yeah, tap. Yeah, but there's even no the, chip, the chips tap. They don't. No, there's no tip tap. You know, I gotta go put the. You got a pip and pop. In. You got a chip and chat. You got a pip and pop. You got a tip and tap. It's, it's everything's just cards now, huh? Why can't I use a card? Nick's also rocking yeah. those AirPods Max. We see it. We see it. We know <laughs> he's in that ecosystem hard. Okay, folks. So there we go. There's some geek things we've been geeking out on this week. Now let's talk about professional professional wrestling. So yeah, let's wrestle. There's so many avenues we could go here. Uh, as as Keith mentioned, my brother uh, jumped into becoming a professional wrestler because he loved it so much. But I want to start way back in the beginning. I want to zoom way out because a lot of people are rolling their eyes, maybe didn't even click on the video because, ugh, professional wrestling. A lot of the business where we came from, Keith, and the musical theater world, uh, that was, you didn't really announce that you were a huge wrestling fan. And so let's go back to the beginning. All right, Nick, let's start with us. You're the, you're the oldest amongst us by a few years. Uh, when did you start your fandom? Uh, because your fandom really is what brought me into the world. It's a it's a two part uh, answer, Mike. Um, back when we lived in Yaden uh, between 1975 and like the 1981ish r- time frame, um, Dad, our Dad, would have wrestling on TV, and this is before WWF started consolidating territories. So we lived in the Northeast, and we would basically watch the Northeast wrestling. So you would see the WWF. In fact, there's a an old picture of a uh, of of me in front of the TV on Church Lane. Uh, and Afa and Sika are on the TV, which is insane because we didn't find that picture till much later. So I always had an interest, uh, and our dad was always kind of into boxing. It was always on the periphery. However, it didn't catch my attention until the Rock and Wrestling Saturday morning cartoon fall season preview show. Um, and I've, I, I'm going to guess the year was '83. Uh, could have been '84, perhaps at that time, maybe even '85. Right in that range. Um, but they, what they did was they had Roddy Roddy Piper uh, on the set of Piper's Pit, uh, etc., basically host the intro to all the cartoons for Saturday morning cartoons that year. And I was always in the Saturday morning cartoons, so uh, this was this was must see TV for me. But then all of a sudden, it's saying, "Well, well, who are these guys?" And oh, he's an interesting villain, you know. And then oh, well, if he's the villain, who are the heroes? Junkyard Dog, Hulk Hogan. Well, I'm going to check this out. And that led to Saturday morning WWF superstars. 
And it was Hulk Hogan that originally uh, caught my attention there. He was the larger-than-life superhero that became um, uh, the draw for me to professional wrestling. And, of course, all of that was tied to Rocky III as well, uh, which had just come out, and he had gotten some exposure with that. So we were Rocky fans. We were superhero fans. We were cartoon fans. All of that came together in one. Um, and that moment is what launched the fandom. Sitting in our Abrams Mill Roadhouse on, on Dad's uh, square, you know, rear projection TV with Roddy Roddy Piper launching the uh, fall uh, cartoon season. There it was. That was it. 1985, 86. 85. Okay. There it was. It was Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. Yeah. Classic. And I think that that's sort of where I got brought into the world, of course. Uh, and it was it was storytelling, right? It was at the age for me where there the separation between what was real and what was fiction was blurred, just in general, anyway. Which is interesting because at the time, the business that's sort of how the storytelling was handled. Was it real? Was it storytelling? And they they enjoyed that middle ground. That's where they captured imagination. That's where they kind of garnered their mystique. In in many ways, the actual practice of the wrestling, as it as it appeared to me at least, was very akin to my feelings to the circus. It was mm. a big event. It was a show. There was equal parts real drama and what appeared to be uh, physical stakes, as well as smoke and mirrors and clowns and just just popcorn entertainment uh, and there was like a magic mystique about it so it, it combined all of those sort of romantic elements for me but more than that it was as i said event viewing i remember the the, the when the pay-per-view started or at least uh, the the big saturday night main event show it was something i would you would wait for all day and you'd get together with my dad, you'd get together with my brother and you'd watch and you'd, it'd be a shared experience. It, it, it was much different than how we consume the people that consume the product today, which we'll, we'll get into hopefully in this conversation, but it was mu- very much, uh, an opportunity to take, whereas much as we loved GI Joe and he man and all of those wonderful characters, uh, this was that, but for real, much like Nick said about Rocky three, uh, it was it was those big kind of characters, large in life characters, but for real. Uh, and for me, it really got blown to the next level when we went to the Wildwood Convention Center. Uh, we huh. went with my 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 I believe my father, my brother. No, was it Grandpa? Who who did we go with? Grandpa and Mom. Yeah, Grandpa and Mom. I think Uncle Joe came too. A weird collection of individuals, but and then on the way in, Keith, it's funny. I I almost got run over by a car. And uh, my brother saved me. And as we see it go by, it was Coco Beware, this one of our 80s wrestlers. Ah, I was got run over by Coco hilarious. Beware. That's the, that's the story. But when Amazing. I went into the convention center, we saw it happening live. And the way they run shows, the way they carnival bark, and the way they, they presented, uh, and it was mm. in your face, was so visceral and so real. And there was this, this fear and anticipation. But at the same time, it felt somewhat controlled which is what I really think is something special about it, and we'll get into that as well. But anyway, that's our kind of, uh, was our introduction to it. And it kind of brought us all the way up until, uh, and the one other element I'll add to that is that also they did such a great job with marketing, and the toys that came with it were mm. spectacular. Uh, not just the wrestling toys, but the 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 sort of art of wrestling or the the dance of it was something Nick and I, and specifically Nick, 
transferred on to action figures. And I talk a lot about Keith is he, his imagination exploded into this world of collecting action figures of all different lines and different IPs and having his own wrestling federation, uh, that he would create pay-per-views and have matches. And there was always a champion and there was tag team champions and there was a whole promotion just in his imaginations. And he would type up on our Commodore 64, the sort of marketing banners for every, if each one of the events, uh, Nick, I just wanted to give you a second to talk about the UWA uh, before we move on and, and get Keith how he jumped in later. Yeah, it's a, it's hard to it's hard to jump past that convention center experience because that was our first live event. And mm -hmm. before we went, I said to mom because it was we, we were at the shore all summer and it was like a two month build up to this show. And I said to mom, I'm like, I wonder if it'll be as good as it is on TV. And my mom said, whenever you go to see something live, it's always better. It doesn't matter who's wrestling; it's just you're there. Um, and she was she was right. There was a smell, a feel. Oh, the, and the main event of that show was the British Bulldogs versus Demolition. Um, oh, crazy! So it, it's yeah. So I, I googled the card not long ago. It's it's fun to look back on. But yeah, Mike almost got run over and killed by Coco Beware. Um, <laughs> anyway, the the UWF. I mean, it was. I still remember being in second grade and playing GI Joe's Transformers, and uh, we were collecting the uh, the Marvel. Uh, Secret War action figures. That's at the time the comic line Secret War came out, and the Federation started back then. Um, and because I was a wrestling fan, and there weren't a lot of wrestling toys other than the big rubber ones, um, I started my own promotion. And I guess I, I should probably be embarrassed by it, but uh, it went Hell through no. middle school, high school, college. Uh, I still have all of the figures and the the Federation fully lined up. I record instead of using a computer, I switched over to a notebook. Um, in college, uh, all of my college roommates would have to pay a nickel, and they could watch the pay per view. So they would watch the action figures wrestle uh, for for a nickel. There were, and we, you know, just like the people that were in the end, into the NWO and the Attitude Era, uh, everyone had their favorites. And my one roommate, Carl, hated Superboy um, and loved Doomsday, and you know, everyone had their their characters. But the interesting thing is, I had so many action figures, I had to do a brand split. He did in, it like, way before nineteen ninety eight. So the UWF, the Universal Wrestling Federation, split into the uh, GWA, the Galactic Wrestling Alliance, and uh, the UWF. There were two separate, and they would meet once a year at uh, Wrestle War, um, which uh, with champion versus champion. Basically, you know what the WWE eventually did. Uh, I was doing with action figures many years ago, but does it any, was just. Does any footage of this exist? There's some pictures. I have a Facebook page. Uh, but I never video recorded it because it was the results got recorded on paper, just like the old dirt sheets. <laughs> you so. didn't need to. It was good. <laughs> I didn't need to. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, there was, I'm sure there was Meltzer story. picked it up. There, there's a universe where it's a it's a profitable YouTube channel, but the time there's just a time investment, as we can speak to. It's just very difficult to uh, to commit to that kind of content production. Now, Keith, I want to get your sort of general yeah. introduction and feelings before we. I want to do a, what I'd like to spend time on here is a juxtaposition about the things we loved Nick growing up and whether our uh, tangential feelings towards the the art form and the business now uh, are nostalgia based or if there's still some because everything has changed media consumption has changed presentation has changed our insight into how things work has changed so is does a kid now still have that same draw that we had? I want to get into that, but Keith, I want to give you the floor to kind of talk about your introduction to wrestling. Yeah, well, uh, first two quick notes uh, before uh, you mentioned the you know the GI Joe and the 
and the whatever being the fantasy world and this being the real world. Uh, except for, as a G.I. Joe fan myself, Sergeant Slaughter was made an official G.I. Joe. So uh, so he it crossed over, uh, for sure. And secondly, doing a little research on Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling, as I'm staring at it here, A, uh, almost none of them did their own voices, right? So mm-hmm. the animated, it was all the people. But Hulk Hogan was played by Brad Garrett. Huh. From uh, from uh, the Ray Everybody Romano Raymond, show, yeah. and uh, Junkyard Dog was voiced by James Avery, Uncle Phil, from Fresh Prince. That's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, so lots of really cool stuff there. So, yeah, well, I, you know, I I think I, my experience of wrestling as a child was so different than yours. Because um, I I was only peripherally aware of it, right? I think at, until I was an adult, I was aware of Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, and like maybe Randy Savage. But I would have known him as a Slim Jims guy. Like that's all I pretty much, that's all that I knew. And my my family had a inexhaustible disdain for professional wrestling. And I was raised in an environment of like, that is stupid, that's garbage, it's for garbage people, like it's absolutely worthless and like reflects the worst of humanity back at you, <laughs> right? And and so that is what my experience of it was up until maybe three or four years ago. And I, it's hard to say like why, but I watched... Uh, uh, Beyond the Mat, just as a as a documentary, just because I was vaguely curious, and I was like, "Oh wait, a these are like real people who have really interesting stories," and and I you know I immediately uh, gravitated to to Matt Foley, I mean to Mick Foley, and I was like, "My God, this guy is a fascinating, good person who does all this crazy stuff." Um, and then, and then I watched, as I mentioned to you, Nick, I, I watched the Jake, the resurrection of Jake the Snake. Again, for the same reason, I was just there for the documentary about people and and watching DDP try to save Jake the Snake and Scott Hall and and through that world. And I'm like, huh, this is way different than I thought it was. The people doing this are very different than the type of people I thought it was. And then I, I, I started, I got sucked in to the industry and the behind the scenes. I started listening to, to JR's podcast about, you know, all of the history of this and that. And, and I started to just get slowly sucked into the world, slowly sucked into the ideas. And then I sort of had this epiphany, right? And the two things that I think I'm most passionate about in this world in terms of entertainment are two things. One, musical theater. Two, sports. And I realized professional wrestling is the intersection of musical theater and sports. And it is, it is a performance, right? You're playing characters. You're telling stories. You're doing all of this, you know, lights and costumes and backstory and character work. And it's sports and, you know, it's, it's incredibly athletic and dangerous and exciting. Is it predetermined? Sure. Is it, it's, you know, but it is unbelievably 
like the the athleticism and the talent and skill to incorporate the 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 athletic part of it with the storytelling the the improvisation in front of the audience that i was like holy crap once i the 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 incredible amount of skill and and artistry that goes into this and then of course the the entire world behind the scenes i mean there is no better reality show there is no better corporate intrigue personal intrigue stories of of uh, success and failure redemption and disaster heartbreak that whole world is utterly endlessly fascinating to me um and of course uh, you know i started watching dark side of the ring and that sucked me in and so i i literally went in a span of two or three years from knowing like who three wrestlers were sort of because like princess bride right to i am now i i I don't i don't know what happened to me i'm like a fucking a darn encyclopedia of nonsense with wrestling stuff but for me, I'm st- I started in like the late 70s and I'm working my way up. So my knowledge only goes up to about 2004. <laughs> but I have become utterly fascinated by this world. You bring up a really good point, Keith, and I want to pitch to Nick to talk a little bit about this. But one of the things, you know, this is a great parallel to theater, actually, because also professional wrestling. You know, yes, I mean, if you really, if you, if you, if you strip it down to its bare bones, it can be really hokey. It's it's two generally two people fake fighting, right? If you really strip it down, and I think that's where people derive a lot of their negative opinions. However, much like any other art form, if it's done well, and obviously we're talking about the upper echelon, or, or you know, because you can find in any sport or any performance aspect people who are not good at it and it is bad i mean that that exists ubiquitously however much like in theater you know the great performers yes it, may, it might be predetermined they have a script but they can elevate it to something that is visceral and feels real in that moment and at its best i always find in this play fighting if you want to call it that there are some people who are great at the athletics it's like a ballet they can do all the flips and the tumbling and whatnot and there are those who are just big, huge guys who can really make it seem aggressive and make that seem real. And then there are people with an ungodly amount of charisma who can capture an audience, who can uh, create improvisational magic on the microphone and, and just hype up a crowd and, and, and make, a, make a feud seem real. And then there are those who can do all of it. And when you can, when you find that those of yeah when you find those who can who can combine it, <laughs> you start to see why these are superstars and and you know and 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 why they rise <clears throat> to the tops and how they can do this. And one thing I really have loved about it, still love about it, Nick talked about it earlier. Something we've always loved in our family is event watching. So you got your Super Bowl, you've got huge prize fighting matches, you've got even UFC fights, you've got sporting events, the World Series. And all of those things have come with high drama because of high stakes and there are storylines, but they all run the risk of sucking. You could have a fight that's totally one-sided. You could have uh, someone get injured, right? Uh, all these things can happen. What I've always loved about professional wrestling is that, well, most of the time, <laughs> things have changed slightly. You could, because it was predetermined, 
you got all of that same hype, you got all the same build, you knew there would be special surprises, you knew there would be high drama, but you knew that generally, you would also get a satisfying payoff. Uh, the story would reach a conclusion or it would continue to the next time. There'd be a cliffhanger. There always, you never had to worry about the ball getting dropped at the end. So it was sort of the best of all worlds, I thought. Even if you f didn't follow the stories from week to week, there was a big payoff coming in a pay-per-view. I really thought that the business was handled so well that way. Nick, I want to talk to you a little bit about, and we'll, I want to get pitched to your kind of career at the at the end, uh, but how do you think things have changed uh, from the way that it used to be as to now? This is a huge question, but how it used to be to how it is the, the product is now, is there still stuff to, to grab onto? Are there still stories being told? How are they handling the transition into new media? Well, I think you got to go back to um, you got to go back to the '80s, and you got to go back to the territories, and even the '70s to some degree at the start to answer that question. Because the way it used to work was you had to sell each individual show in the arena. It wasn't about TV. There were no big TV contracts. That wasn't where the money was. The money was in the gate, right? So. Um, if it was Mid-South, it was Florida Championship. If you were WWF, AWA, uh, WCCW, all those promotions, they had their storylines that month to month, they had to try to sell each of those shows. They would call it putting bucks into buckets. Um, and you got what you talked about, Mike. When you would go to see that live event show, it wasn't just the payoff of that show. They were also selling next month's show, right? So... You were getting your story there, and then you were getting the pitch to buy a ticket and come back to see what happens next month. That started to change as the WWF took over territories, and it became television contracts and whatnot. In the beginning, you had four big pay-per-views per year, right? So you knew those four pay-per-views were going to be big payoffs. You were going to get all the cool, exciting stuff happening there. But at that time, a lot of the revenue still came from the live gates. You still had to sell your A shows, your B shows, and your C shows, right? Working different towns. Big towns got the A show. That's Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage. Your B towns got your Honky Tonk Man, you know, Coco Beware's. Then your C shows were your, uh, you know, the, the local guys or depending on where you were. Yeah, you know, Iron Mike Sharp, uh, Tony Gurria, all those guys. Anyway, um, the as it evolved into what we have today – which are the giant, giant television contracts with Fox, with USA, um, Peacock, NBC bought the entire uh, WWE network. They're not even pay-per-views anymore. They're, you know, pr uh, premium events that they're called. So they're selling a five-year vision for not just those individual stories each month, but basically a brand. And that brand is what carries things year to year. I think the best example of where we are today is this past WrestleMania. So the past WrestleMania was in Texas, right? Two nights at a stadium that holds, what, 80,000, 90,000, 100,000 people? Yeah. They knew they weren't going to sell out 100,000 each night, right? So they built the stage a certain way. They made sure it looked a certain way. But they held off on pulling the trigger on announcing that Stone Cold Steve Austin would wrestle a match, that would have, and it did, obviously, you know, sell a ton more tickets, but they had basically switched to a philosophy where WrestleMania as a brand sells itself. So on week-to-week -week television, you're not necessarily getting what I talked about in the beginning, which was you have to sell the arena out today and you have to sell it out next month. 
one of the reasons I think AEW has been popular, um, aside from, you know, the hardcore fans who just hate WWE because they want to, there's, you know, whatever, is because they are attempting to give you event television every week. And that is very difficult to do. And I'll, 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 again, this is an hours upon hours answer. I'll end it with this. Whereas at that arena way back in the 80s, you bought your ticket, right? And they were trying to then give you your money's worth and then sell you for one month later, maybe two months later, right? TV now, we're selling you week to week. It's like a soap opera. There's not enough characters and or storylines to always do something super dramatic and super exciting every week. Eventually, you run out of a little bit of steam there or you're just going to have a bad show. So I don't blame WWE necessarily for not having exhilarating programming each week. It's gotten significantly better, I feel, since Vince stepped down. However, um, you do have to find different ways to draw people in. And that's the circus mentality you were talking about, Mike. So it's it's significantly different now. You know, uh, they don't look at TV. They don't even look at TV ratings the same as they did 20 years ago. You know, at the height of the WCW versus WWE Monday Night Wars, TV ratings told the tale. Merchandise sales told the tale. Today, you're not really looking at live viewing. The Nielsen's ratings all look different. You have streaming platforms. It's, it, it is a very, very different world. So you're trying to, in a way, compare apples and oranges in that sense. That's, that's a great point. And I think it's, it's one of the reasons why Keith finds himself, uh, his obsession sticking online, YouTube, going to the past, where there was sort of that that main event type of atmosphere existed week to week more so than it does now. I find myself as a Laps fan, we talk about this often, Nick, because as you said, there's, we are living in the crown jewel of renaissance of content consumption. I mean, there yeah. is not just a couple of good shows to watch. You can spend 24 hours a day watching incredible content on your various streaming devices to the point where, it's a whole different episode, but I'm a little overwhelmed. Uh, to even have a conversation, to even come up with three things to talk about every week is there's just so much stuff. So what is drawing me back? All that draws me back to wrestling now is the love, the nostalgia I had, right? The cheap pops of seeing the old characters come back. Stone Cold wrestling match, I'm in. Uh, just getting together with my brother and some of our buddies from, from childhood because we all watched wrestling together and now we do it as adults. There's a nostalgic f fun to that. Uh, I... I and I'm a little sad. I'm a little sad that the business has yet to find a way to really evolve. Um, but that's what that's where we live right now. I mean, every, everything's struggling. There's well, a kid. I, I'll just say there's you know as they're struggling. There's a guy. Uh, I, I'm not even gonna. I'm not gonna promote anybody. There's a guy on the TikTok and the Instagrams right now, and he stands on a board, and every video, I think it's one or two a week, they put a whole bunch of other just like crap barbed wire blah, blah 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 and he says this catchphrase and he jumps off into this pit of and, and he's got <laughs> what <laughs> i'll send it to you millions and millions and millions and millions of views and it's just they just sometimes it's just a bunch of toys he jumps into sometimes it's uh it's like feces i mean it's just random stuff and he just elbow drop randy savage elbow drops onto this pile of stuff and he's making bank uh so that's what we're competing against <laughs> Yeah, look, he's he's dude love in high school. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Keith, go ahead. No, I was going to say that you you talk about evolution, and I and I think that that is kind of essential here because as somebody studying the past, 
of professional wrestling. You know, you are sort of confronted by some of the reasons that I was turned off by it, you know, back back then. I mean, like the just rampant misogyny and racism and homophobia cooked into it. And, you know, you, you look at it from the past and you, you can sort of differentiate between, you know, where's the target aimed? You know, are, are, do, you, do you have a, a heel saying horrible and offensive things as part of being a heel, the bad guy, the bad guy character who then gets his comeuppance, which I view very differently than the point of view of the show, the point of view of the thing is to reinforce this stereotype or this whatever. And are you feeding, are you feeding your audience the bad, you know, bad things to eat, you know, in terms of all of these things. So I am encouraged by this slower than it should be evolution and growth and change in, in that, because like, you know, for me, I find that stuff really hard to watch and really hard to sort of digest, but you know, AEW, the tag team champs are openly gay and they, and, and, and the audience is eating it up. You know, and it's and, and that is like, oh my God! Can you imagine if that were the case twenty years ago, or or thirty in the Attitude Era, or this that the other thing? So it's not evolving as fast as it should have. There are things that were that you know that would be seen wrong today that were wrong then that should never have happened. Um, however, they're speaking. I think there is value in speaking to an audience that might not be as progressive as on top of that stuff, meeting them where they are and sort of turning the battleship a little bit. And I'm really glad to see that progression. Um, and, you know, talking about nostalgia, right? I think the thing that professional wrestling does best is nostalgia. I'm watching these, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, and, and you talk about content, right? Because on Peacock, everything that has ever been done is right there available. I can go just watch like literally everything. It's mind blowing, but I'm able to pip and pop, as Mike would say. Like I'll watch WrestleMania three, then I'll watch WrestleMania thirteen, and then twenty three, or this, that, the other thing. And and even I, having not having any of these memories, I feel nostalgia when I'm watching the return of whoever you know coming back later, watching somebody's career at different points in it. Um, I think that's such a big part of it. I mean, the, the pop you get for somebody returning for the first time in a while, like that's, they're so good at playing. Well, that it's up. a wish fulfillment, right? Like when, uh, you could cart out the old, the, the, the 55 year old major league pitcher to pitch one last game. He's going to get destroyed. He's probably going to just right. throw his arm out and get, and seven hit home runs are going to get hit, but there's a wish fulfillment. You can bring out. 95 year old Ric Flair, right? Who can barely right. walk and you can probably have him win a match or like you can, you know, there's a, there's an element that the, the art form allows for this wish fulfillment for the guy, mm. you know, the, the old blue collar guy getting one last go at it because we all, even here in our forties, some of our better days are behind us. And we think, oh, I wish I could get out there and give it one more go. Uh, you know, I kind of I think we're gonna do a part two to this episode because I really want to <laughs> I want to give full time to, to to ask some questions of Nick because Nick was it Nick was a professional wrestler. That's uh, right. He was in, working in his way up the if ladder. If you're watching this, right below, right below Mike, that is that is Nick, 
professional wrestling. So I want to give due time to that. So, um, Nick, I want to leave you the floor here to close out this first hour and just talk a bit about, I want to hear about today, right? Like, are you still a fan? Do you still watch? Is it something you watch weekly? Are you kind of uh, 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 just pop in for the, the pay-per-views like me right now? Uh, and one and one last question to, to tack on top of that. Talk a little bit because I don't I don't watch it a lot. Uh, on Peacock, you know they own the WWE sort of catalog. Um, and speaking about pipping and popping, YouTube's a great resource. But I want to I know you've explored the the network a bunch on on Peacock. I want to let you speak to that a little bit for people who might be interested. Um, so to answer the first question, uh, do I still watch the current product? Um, I do when there is something that intrigues me and I am currently very intrigued by um, what WWE has as their main event act, which is Roman Reigns and the bloodline. And part of that is very selfish. I was trained by uh, Afa Anawahi, the wild Samoan at the wild Samoan training center. Um, Afa and Sika, uh, who were the wild Samoans back in the eighties, that is the rock's uncle that Sika is Roman Reigns' dad. Um, The entire Samoan bloodline is professional wrestling. You've got the head shrinkers, uh, Samu, Rikishi, um, uh, Umaga through, I mean, Yokozuna, part of the family. Uh, I've got the poster right up here. That that generation, um, you know, watching all these current superstars who were just little kids bouncing around in the ring when I was, you know, learning how to do uh, professional wrestling, basically. So it's obviously I'm highly engaged, but from the time Roman Reigns debuted, um, with the shield back when, um, and, and they weren't talking about his lineage at that point. Right. And he was getting over at first as a bad guy. Then the crowd turned on him because they were trying to shift him to a baby face and they, no one was really buying it. The one thing I always knew about Joe was he never had a bad match. You can go back and you can watch every match the shield had. And that Joe, that Roman Reigns had as a, in a, as a singles competitor up through this current run, which has been lasting about two and a half years, you will never see him have a bad match. He can wrestle a entertaining, interesting match with anyone. That is incredibly difficult to do, right? So a lot of the mistakes that happened weren't his mistakes. They were creative mistakes. And then finally, after he, you know, he, he went out for a little while with the leukemia and the COVID, and he came back and they finally went whole hog into him being a heel. And playing into Joe's real personality, um, which is he's funny, he's he's charismatic. Like let him be who he is, which is what they've done us uh, for the past two and a half years. And it's the best thing going in pro wrestling, and it has been now. They they've kept the belt on him. It'll, it's coming up on three years, I think, at some point soon. That's Hulk Hogan level of you know in, in professional wrestling terms in the twenty twenties. That's forever. There's no no one holds a title that long. You know, the the attention span for you know what watching a YouTube video I think is three seconds, right? <laughs> so I'm all in on on when the bloodlines on TV. And for the listeners, two weeks ago on SmackDown or last week on SmackDown, a week ago I guess it was. If you watch the segment with the bloodline in the ring, because they they have a whole thing going with Sami Zayn now as part of the bloodline. So Sami Zayn, ginger, pale. Uh, Sammy, I, I think Sammy is Jewish on top of, you know, like that's his, cause like he's a ska movie type, uh, guy, <laughs> totally not a fit with the Samoans, the, the coolness of the Samoans. And he's like an honorary Uso right now. And he's cracking those guys up in the ring during segments that they shouldn't be cracking up. And the crowd is eating it 
up. So that right now, I'd say, is the hottest thing in wrestling. And I do like watching AEW because you get a little bit of the flavor of the independent scene because those are guys who are doing the things that um, my crew was trying to do in the early 2000s, which was we were trying to have the best matches on the planet, right? We, we knew we weren't on TV every week or that if we were, it was small TV, you know, it was local TV. So rather than uh, maybe focusing, focusing as much on the character portion um, as we should have been, we were trying to have phenomenal matches. We wanted to be considered the best technical wrestlers, the high flyers, you know, we wanted that. Um, and AEW is giving you that right now. Um, and I feel like they are doing a good job at um, representation in a lot of ways. While their women's division might not be the strongest right now, uh, Keith, you mentioned Anthony Bowens, uh, you know, p- part of the tag team champions. I had a chance to work with him in 2015. Consummate professional. He is, uh, I mean, he does everything right, promotes himself the right way, and very bravely, you know, stepped out into the light of, hey, this is who I am. You know what I mean? And the crowd has uh, always accepted him because he's really good at what he does and he's a stand-up guy. So um, that's a fun audience to watch. I feel like the AEW experience is more about the collective feel and environment there. Um, So when I can, I watch that on Wednesday nights. Um, And also Chris Jericho, I find hilarious. So anything he does is always, um, he's always reinventing himself and and doing amazing things there. So as a, as a uh, mostly retired pro wrestler right now, um, that's kind of where I am with the product. It's been definitely more exciting uh, since the summertime after the controversy and since Vince stepped down. But it's exciting to me because uh, Triple H's mentality is more, he's my age. You know what I mean? So his view of wrestling is a lot of what we are all talking about right now. And Keith and I were talking uh, offline about uh, Terry Funk, and, you know, and, and, and that you know that whole story. And that's, a, that's a, the history, um, the feel the experience, I think Triple H is definitely on board with a lot of that. All right, so we're going to take a break, uh, and I hopefully you've enjoyed the chat this week on Geekly. Uh, we're going we're gonna to continue it. Uh, I think we'll probably drop part two this week as well. Uh, why not? I guess if you guys are want to stick around, we can just do it now, record it now, and, and, and toss it up later. So we're going to talk more with my brother Nick about his uh, career in professional wrestling. Hopefully this is a little bit interesting for you. It's something we, we, we all geek out on, so uh, we're talking about it on our show uh, we'd like to once again thank our patrons. Uh, you can join the team at patreon.com slash K&M, get all kinds of goodies. Until then, I'm going to cut it here, and we'll be back later this week with part two of Talking Wrestling with Keith Varney and Zero Gravity. Yeah. Nick and Diglio. See you next week. But, but Mike, but, you, you got to give us our tag. What's, what's our tag this week? Pip and pop. Geek till you drop. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Best moment of the show.